in light of what we have been discussing so far, you know, we've been talking about the role of church, why uh, the Lutherans uh, went out of uh, a church of Rome, and then some of the, the similarities that we have even with them to this day, and the differences that we have, we've seen that. And wh- on the other side, we have like the Reformed or say the Anabaptists or the Baptists. Uh, what what makes difference our theology? Uh, from the reform or do have similarities with them because we're just standing somewhere in, in between the right <laughs> and the left <laughs> okay so the the differences with the other protestants this uh these are differences originate right in the reformation and in fact we're at the point now that many church historians don't talk about the reformation singular anymore okay but they talk about multiple reformation reformation movements and i think that's a better way to understand it and in fact that's the way some of the reformers would have said it themselves if you look at the swiss reformation zwingli himself went out of his way to say i'm not a follower of luther luther didn't start this i was teaching what i was teaching before i'd never even heard of that german guy i didn't even know who he was and i was saying these things i'm not you know uh, he was very clear he was a separate movement Uh, there, there were separate Reformation movements. They all just kind of happened at about... The, the politics was right for them to happen at the yeah. same time. And they, they did interact with each other. Yeah. Sometimes they helped each other. Sometimes they hurt each other. Yeah. But, um, but they really were separate movements. Now, what separates us most strongly from the Reformed... And it's also, I think, important to note when we start talking Reformed, that's not all one group. There were followers of Zwingli who believed one thing, followers of Calvin who believed another, and as their theologies went out to other countries, there were other changes that happened to them. So there are variations on the Reformed. But if we're going to talk uh, broadly for the sake of convenience, to group them together. I would say, I believe that the primary difference comes with or starts from two things. One, the view of the authority of Scripture in relationship to human reason. And I'll unpack that in a moment. And the other being the foundational lens through which we read scripture. And I'll unpack that one also. First, the difference in the authority of scripture versus reason of man. For Luther, the the holy scriptures, the written word of God, is the absolute final authority. What is written on the page is the final answer. And if you want to know what the Bible actually teaches, you find that through careful study of the words on the page. Do a word study. Do grammar study. Compare one verse to another verse to another verse. Read the entire Bible and compare the the different writings and, and see where these messages inform each other and shape each other. But ultimately, it is the words on the page that give the answer. One thing that you see consistently with the Reformed theologians, on the other hand, people like Zwingli and Calvin, 
they when you look at the theological arguments they make they give a much higher respect to human logic and they will even let human logic override the clear meaning of the words on the page so for instance christ holds bread and says this is my body one one argument from the reformed will be that no the body of christ is seated at the right hand of god and we know that a human body can only be in one place at one time and if the body of christ is seated at the right hand of god in heaven then it cannot be on the altar of your Lutheran church. Just like you and I are seated in this studio, which means all of your viewers, all of your listeners know right now for a fact you're not strolling through Mescal Square because you cannot be in this studio and in Mescal at the same time. That's just human logic. Well... Zwingli will say, therefore, that logic proves that when Jesus says this is, it doesn't actually mean this is. So human logic will be more powerful than the words on the page. Whereas Luther will say, the perfect word of God says this is, therefore it is. How it is that the human body of Christ can be in more than one place at more than one time I can't tell you how, but I can tell you God is all-powerful, so if he wants it to be that way, it will be that way because God can do what God says he's going to do, and God says this is what he's doing. So for Luther, it's the word on the page. For Zwingli, it's his, his logic. And when we, when we see Luther and Zwingli, say, for instance, at the Marburg debate over the Lord's Supper, Luther continually, it is written, this is what the words say. And Zwingli, over and over, is making this logical, philosophical argument on why what the words on the page say can't mean what the words on the page say. Logic means more for, for Zwingli than the written word. Likewise, uh, Calvin kind of falls in that same boat. He'll, he'll do the same thing. He'll let his own reason override what it is that the words on the page say. And so, for instance, he'll get into a philosophical argument again about the Lord's Supper, about how finite bread cannot contain an infinite God. Well, logically, can the finite contain the infinite? I don't even want to go there because that, that if we're going to play with that game... Why are we stopping at bread? We can't stop at bread. And we're going to have to arrive sooner or later at the finite human body of the baby born of Mary. Now, if the finite cannot contain the infinite, if the finite bread cannot contain the infinite body of, of Christ, how can the finite body of Mary's baby hold the infinite Son of God? You know, um, this argument that Calvin uses against the real presence in the Lord's Supper destroys his Christology. If you actually 
let it carry through. Uh, So again, you know, we see the same problem with Calvin that we see with Zwingli. His logic, his reasoning overrides the clear meaning of the words on the page. That's one of the things that starts to separate us from from the the Reformed. The other, I I said, was the lens with which you look. For Lutheranism, salvation by grace alone, it's a free gift held by faith alone. It's ours when we believe God's promise. That's our foundation for everything. That was Luther's foundation for everything. It's the gospel. So for Luther, every single thing he reads in Scripture, he asks one simple question. How does this relate to the gospel? Or to put it another way, how does the gospel help me understand this? So the, this is the, this justification by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone, is the lens, you could say the lens yeah. through which Luther reads Scripture. You know, like, my eyeglasses affect how I see everything. Yeah. Well, for Calvin, I would argue that the lens through which Calvin reads everything is the almighty sovereignty of God. God is all power. Uh, God is all powerful. And God is the sovereign ruler of all creation. Therefore, Calvin will, will argue, everything that happens must happen because it is God's desire. And then where we see this play in then is when Calvin and Calvinists talk about those who are damned with the lens of the almighty sovereignty of God and the the belief that therefore everything that happens must be what God wants to happen, you have no choice but to arrive at the point of saying, therefore everyone who's damned in hell was created by God from eternity specifically for the purpose that God could damn them to hell because God wanted to damn them to hell. And that's what Calvinistic pre-double destination is all about. It's not scriptural. It denies all of the verses in Scripture that where, where God gives this gospel promise to all creation, to the whole world. But Calvin's lens forces him there. And so those two things, the priority of human reason and the lens through which one looks, is what those are the foundations that create different theologies. Now, if we want to talk about more specifics, you know, when you when you look at the Reformed, uh, they deny all, almost all of them, if not all of them, deny the efficacy of baptism. Even the other Protestants that baptize babies, most of them still say it's not really doing anything. Uh, Zwingli was was real loud and proud about uh, bapt- his, his beliefs that baptism really was only an outward work. Uh, there wasn't anything really spiritually happening there. And in fact, Zwingli spoke so strongly against baptism actually doing anything that as the, it was only when the Anabaptist followers of his that broke mm-hmm. off from him Actually, they started arguing, well, from Zwingli's own arguments that that, uh, baptism itself wasn't doing the work, that people needed to 
make a commitment, make a decision, therefore infant baptism was wrong. That it was only when they went there and they were using Zwingli's own arguments to justify their rejection of infant baptism that Zwingli started back, and, wait, 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 you're taking me too far. And he started trying to change his wording a little bit. Uh, he was he was very much against the idea that baptism was really doing anything. Um, same with the Lord's Supper. He was very clear in saying, it's only bread, it's only wine, it's only a symbol, it's only a show. Which, by the way, if Jesus had wanted to say that, the biblical Greek has a word for sign or symbol. It would have been very easy for for Matthew, Mark, and Luke to have recorded Jesus' own words that say, take, eat, this is a symbol of my body. Uh, it, it, he didn't have to say this is as the, the only option he had. They didn't have to record it that way. And, but but that's, that's where Zwingli went with it. Uh, Calvin tried to... Calvin tried to claim a mediating position between the two where there was a spiritual eating by faith where Calvin kind of had the idea that here on earth you're eating bread, you're drinking wine, but then if you have faith in Christ, your faith ascends up to heaven and communes with Christ there. Uh, But as a Lutheran, I would argue, ultimately, he's really no different than Zwingli. Mm you want to see the difference you see it in the communion service go to communion and as the pastor stands there with you stop and say wait a minute what are you holding in your hand a Zwinglian pastor would say oh this is only bread a Calvinist pastor would also say this is only bread it's the Lutheran pastor who would say I'm holding the body of Christ for you to eat uh, so that that's those are those are where our differences would start. We, we could go on yeah. to talk about more later. Yeah. Um, there are some who kind of want to say, okay, we, we're basically the same, but we have a few differences uh, when we talk about baptism and a few differences when we talk about the Lord's Supper. But other than that, we're really the same. Honestly, we're not. Yeah. One, when you st- that's why I start with those fundamentals yeah. of reason over scripture and the lens through which you look because it ends up affecting everything yeah. and the reason i say this uh, or one i should say one thing that confirms for me that i'm not over speaking not long ago i was talking with a friend who comes from a, a calvinist mm-hmm. heritage and but he's been studying lutheranism and he was telling me that biblically he came to realize that the bible really does support luther on the issue of the real presence in the Lord's Supper, the body being, the bread being his body, the wine being his blood. This is what the Bible's teaching. And then he said something really striking. He said, this is forcing me to reconsider my entire Christology. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he started to view how Lutheran, even just the issue of the Lord's mm-hmm. Supper, once he was really looking at Lutheran theology regarding the Lord's Supper, he started realizing this had further reaching impacts on all of his theology of christ coming from a calvinist background and and as a as a serious theologian he was realizing the differences between a lutheran background and a calvinist background completely changes the entire christology the entire study and belief of christ and what he's doing and why and how 
Okay. So the, the, the differences are truly yeah. profound. And those are the ones that are closest yeah. to us. Yeah. When you start talking <laughs> about the Anabaptists and the Baptists, yeah. they've gone even farther. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. That's, yeah, I don't know if that's probably that's a good enough one. for this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I have a follow-up question with a few of the things that you have raised. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, reason, logic over the scriptures. Uh, how do Zwingli and the others explain the fact that Jesus went through a door? <laughs> I mean... Because if they say like a so human flesh cannot be uh, up in heaven and here on earth, then how can a flesh go through a door? So you're talking about after the resurrection after the when resurrection, the, the yeah. disciples are yeah. hiding, yeah. locked in yeah. this room, and yeah. Jesus appears there. Yeah. Um, I've not actually read it yeah. in Calvin's writings. I haven't studied Calvin deeply enough. But I have been told that Calvin explained that one by saying either... Jesus was already hiding in the room before <laughs> the disciples got there, or he climbed through a window. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I haven't personally read yeah. that in Calvin's writings, but I've been told that that was mm. his answer. Cool, cool. I think we we used to think like this, yeah, before. Yeah. Uh, we used to think that uh, the Lutherans and the Reformed uh, groups or theology used to be uh, the same, basically, yeah. but had uh, some minor differences differences and uh, uh, the day you came to our youth group mm -hmm. and preached about the reformation uh, that day i understood that the lutheran theology and the uh, reformer theology had a, a big major uh, differences so thanks for that oh mm -hmm. my pleasure <laughs> so what about uh, means of grace because lutherans uh, love to talk about listing uh, means of grace so what do we mean when we say uh, means of grace. You have actually mentioned quite a lot about means yeah. of grace, but if you just... But I, 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 yes, I know. I, yeah. I jump around with yeah, different... No, that's good. No worries. It's one of my problems as <laughs> a theology yeah. teacher. Yeah. I'm used to bouncing around yeah. the terms in a classroom that already knows the terms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so means is just another word for instrument. A, a thing being used to accomplish something, a tool. Yeah. And so really we're saying the tools of grace, yeah. the instruments of grace. When we say means of grace. And so that phrase just simply is, is referring to those things that God uses to deliver his gracious gifts. Yeah. So how is it that God delivers us forgiveness? How does God give us faith? How does God give us salvation? So as Lutherans, we go to Scripture, yeah. and Scripture tells us, for instance, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, yeah. hearing the word of God yeah. or the message of Christ, depending on which translation you're reading. Yeah. Uh, but the, this, these, these scriptures are a tool by which faith is created. Yeah. It's a tool the Holy Spirit uses. And so we would say, oh, that, that book sitting right there, that Bible, your scriptures, this is a means of grace. How do, we, how do we become Christian? Jesus says through baptism and teaching. Yeah. Baptism is one of these tools. How does God deliver salvation? The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write in his first epistle, baptism saves you. Baptism delivers salvation. Yeah. Um, Lord's Supper. 
Jesus holds bread and says, this is my body. As a cup of wine, he says, this is my blood, and it's poured out for you for your forgiveness. This is an instrument that he uses to deliver this. And so when we as Lutherans talk about these means or instruments or tools of grace, we're talking about these things where Christ has promised, in this, I'm giving you these gifts. So when Peter says, be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, oh yes, that's a, baptism is one of these instruments or tools that delivers the Holy Spirit as a gift. And the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to tell us that. So that, that's what we mean by means of grace. Yeah. Uh, just another question. What about prayer? Uh, because most, of, uh, most people who, are, or who have a charismatic or Pentecostal-oriented uh, theology thinks uh, prayer is a means of grace where God uh, gives his spirit and uh, empowers us. What do you think about that? What does Lutheran theology say? No, I'm I'm smiling a little bit at that, um, with the way you 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 phrase that question, because you are correct. When you've got a group that has set aside the means that God has promised, sets aside the sacraments that God has oh. given, well, something has to become the new sacrament. Something has yeah. to be the new yeah. means, and so for many, not just the charismatics but even many of the evangelicals the new sacrament is prayer and you hear this talk about oh the power of prayer oh my you know this prayer is so powerful what is prayer prayer is simply you talking to god yeah. now god promises to hear when you talk to him yeah. and god promises to answer when you talk to him but your talking to him isn't where the power is. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be my first statement on it. But then the second would be, where does that answer come from? How does God answer? And so I, I've seen this. I remember talking with a, a person, who was a dear lady that I, I did truly love as a Christian sister back in America who very much had a... Uh, much she was much more evangelical slightly charismatic than she was lutheran and she wanted to get a new car and she went shopping and she found a toyota that she really liked and she found a honda that she really liked and they both seemed like very good cars and she couldn't decide so she raised it up to god in prayer which car should i have god you have to tell me which car i should have and just knew that with this prayer, she'd get the answer to which was the godly car for her to have. <laughs> and then she's walking down the street, and she's, uh, a red car goes by. And then another red car, and then another red car. She goes, the Honda that I looked <laughs> at at the, at, the, at the shop was red. The Holy Spirit wants yeah. me to buy the Honda. And, well, my question as the Lutheran is, where in Scripture does God promise to give that kind of answer he doesn't uh, and, and i've seen very often people who have this idea that somehow my prayer generates an answer yeah. they start looking for these answers in many different places where there is no promise yeah. 
like this lady. There, there's no place in the Bible that says, look on the street and you'll see the answer and the symbolism of the passing cars. Um, but, but this is, but everyone needs something. And so you, you'll try to find it somewhere mm. for a Lutheran. We're going to say, well, where is it that God answers prayer? Yeah. You know, if, if it's the, Oh Lord, what should I do? Tell me what to do. Mm. Well, he's given us, he's given us a book. Yeah. Start yeah. reading. Yeah. He's got an answer in there. Yeah. Um, if it's, and, and sometimes it isn't exactly clear. Yeah. Okay. I've been given a good job offer. God, should I take this job? Well, still look in the book, and this is the first place, because God has very clear guidelines on what is godly behavior or not. So this new job opportunity that I have, is this a godly profession? Mm -hmm. Is this an opportunity to become rich by taking advantage of gullible people? Then I'm not loving my neighbors myself, and I should not take that job. So there is guidance there. if this new job opportunity, uh, I'm a husband, yeah. I have a wife, I have four children. And right now with my calling as a professor here, uh, my church body pays me well enough that I can support my family. Well, what if I get a new job offer to do something that sounds really fun and really exciting, but it pays very poorly, it has no health insurance. Uh, from my vocation as husband and father where I I am called yeah. by God to care for my husband or for my wife and my children. Should I really leave a stable job to risk my children going yeah. hungry because yeah. I think this would be fun? Mm. You know, so there is guidance for me yeah. to consider yeah. in Scripture. Uh, and ultimately, too, you know, there are going to be some things where they're, okay, I'm going to, if I'm sick, I'm going to pray for God's healing. Yeah. God may heal me by sending a doctor. God may heal me by just strengthening my own immune system. But that's not, it's not the power of prayer that made that happen. It's a loving God that did yeah. it. So we ask in prayer, uh, and God answers to us uh, through his word and the sacraments. Yes, so yes. the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sins comes to us through the word and the sacraments. Yes, yes. And, and for the earthly things we ask in prayer, God often works through brothers and sisters in christ but again it's not the prayer that's the power it's not the prayer is not a sacrament i think one thing that always for me that always helps put everything in place is to remember how god describes his relationship with us Mm. he's our father he teaches us to pray Mm. so and he teaches we're his children now i would argue the mistake we make is we want to think that we are his adult children. But Jesus reminds us the kingdom of heaven is made of those who are like little children, like toddlers and infants. If we really want to understand our relationship with God, we need to remember that we are his little tiny baby children. And so, you know, I I have a three-year-old. He asks me often for things. We could call that prayer. And I often give him what he asks for. But it's not because the power of his request compelled me. It's because as a loving father, I intend to give him good things anyway. Yeah. Every, every day he, asks, he prays to his mother for food. Yeah. Well, she was planning on feeding him anyway. Yeah. 
you know, it's not the power of his request that got him the food, but the love of your mother. Okay. And I think we can view prayer that way with our Heavenly Father as well. He delights in hearing his little children ask for things, and he loves to give us his good gifts, but it's not the request that, that empowers him.